Exodus 4, and, and as we make the transition, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word as we have just uh, heard this great presentation from the Gideons. Bless them that more people not, might have Exodus 4 in their hands. Bless us, Lord, as we look at it by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Exodus 4, verses 1 through 15, uh, excuse me, 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send somebody else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, Is it not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Um, Do you remember how good your children were at making excuses? Or perhaps your grandchildren. Didn't I tell you to go and clean up your room? And what's that favorite word, right? But. But so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Didn't I tell you to do your homework? Ah, but so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Children are really good at at making excuses. Perhaps your children. Um, You can awkwardly look at them now if you'd like. Uh, But you know, the thing is, now we get to look in the mirror. Because the reality is, as adults... We're really good at it, too. In fact, we get better at it with time. And we make just as many excuses as our children do. We're just better at it. And we make it sound better. And we use better logic. And reasons and excuses get mixed up a lot in our minds. You know, the reality is that we're good at making excuses. Especially when it comes to God calling us to obey. 
Now, we can talk about making excuses or taking a long time to figure out things like whom you're going to marry and where you're going to go to school. And, and th- those are big questions. They take a long time. But most of the time, day-to-day life is spent knowing exactly what God wants us to do. To love God and to love our neighbor. To obey His commands, to seek out Him, to abide in Him daily. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at making excuses. And today I call myself to the mat and I call you to the mat too. That we might not imitate Moses here. That we might stop making excuses and obey the Lord. Moses is really good at making excuses here. You'll remember that he and the Lord are still at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai as it is also called. And the Lord is speaking to him out of the, uh, the, the fiery bush that's on fire but not being consumed. Last week we looked at how Moses was inadequate. And that was okay because God was more than adequate for the task. But Moses continues to push back against the Lord God Almighty and his call on his life. And whereas last week we saw that we are inadequate like Moses, that's okay, we also see this week we are like Moses and that we're really good at making excuses, and that's, that's not okay. God has just told Moses to go. And what are the very first words we see in verse 1? That, that great word, right? But... But behold, Lord, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, on surface level, this is an okay thing to say the Lord, because you have to remember who Moses is. He's 80 years old at this point. This is 40 years after he's been driven out of uh, Egypt because he had murdered an Egyptian taskmaster. He had already tried to help the Hebrews, and it didn't work. He did it on his terms. It didn't work out, and now he's fled. And so you can imagine that him showing up 40 years later, if anybody's still alive and say, isn't that the guy that killed the dude? I mean, this is, this is not the guy that we want leading us out of Egypt. But that's if we forget what the chapter before has said. Look at 3.18. Because in 3.18, the Lord says this, the Lord God Almighty, I am who I am, the great I am, Yahweh himself says... And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. God has already promised to Moses, when you speak to them, they will listen to you. And they're going to believe you so much that they're going to go with you and talk to Pharaoh. That's some pretty good motivating. Motivating. And yet, Moses makes an excuse. He fails to believe the promises of God. So many of our excuses come from that source, don't they? When we fail to believe the promises of God. When God says, I will be with you. And then we make excuses because we don't actually believe that. When God has made it very explicit in His Word, His promises. Like Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger, and yet we still use fierce words. We make all all sorts of excuses to justify that. Or instead of believing that telling the truth really is the best policy, as God commands in Exodus 20 20 verse 16, we shade the truth and twist the reality because if we were to tell the truth, then the only thing that comes next is an excuse. Instead of trusting in the Lord that He will provide for us financially, when we return to Him the 10% of our income, sometimes an income problem is actually a giving problem. 
Malachi 3.10 says, He will give us what we need. When you think about your life, what are those areas in your life where you're failing to believe the promises of God and and as a result you end up making excuses? I, I can identify several in my own life. Well, God in His patience and His love, He meets us where we are. And he certainly met uh, Moses where he was. And he's going to give him three signs. And the first one he says, hey, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And so he does. And it becomes a snake. Now, I'm a firm believer in the dead snake policy. Do you know this policy? The only good snake's a dead snake. Now, that makes me a terrible environmentalist and all those sorts of things. I can tell you what a moccasin looks like, and I can tell you what a rattlesnake looks like. I had one crawl between the legs of my best friend in high school. It crawled out, and we both pulled out our pistols, and blam, 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 and that was a, a dead snake, good snake. I can tell you what a snake looks like if it's a rattlesnake or a moccasin, but, but this man, Moses, was a professional shepherd. He knew what a snake looked like. This was a poisonous snake. And he jumped back quickly because he knew that if he didn't, he would die. Well, then God tells him something rather interesting. He says, Moses, reach down there and take the snake by its tail. Have you ever grabbed a snake by its tail? That's not where you grab a snake. Because when you do so, what's it going to do? It is free to to bite you at that point. It took some real faith on on Moses' part. We have to give him a little credit here. He reaches down and it quickly becomes a staff. Now, why is this important that it was a snake? It was an important sign because when he goes first to the elders and then later to Pharaoh, do you know the main sign of the king of Egypt was a snake? And his crown had a cobra's head coming out the top. So it is likely that this was a cobra. And God is showing his power over the sun god Ra, whose sign was a snake, and over the power of Pharaoh. And he would do the same with leprosy. Uh, Leprosy was an incurable, always fatal disease, and it was highly contagious. And it was widespread in Egypt. And none of the gods of Egypt could take care of it. None of the gods of Egypt could heal leprosy. And then when Moses would put his hand in the cloak the second time, it would show that Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, is able to heal even leprosy. And then when the Nile, when the water is turned into blood, the the Nile was Egypt. Without the Nile, Egypt would not exist and its prosperity would be no more. And for God to show his supremacy over the Nile was to say that I am in charge. How many times has God told us in our lives, I'm going to take care of you. I know what's best for your life. Trust me. And yet in the end, we ignore the signs of his goodness to us and we make all sorts of excuses. What is the greatest sign of all? It's the empty grave. It's the empty tomb. We say, if I would just see something, I would believe it. And God has given us lots of signs. And He has shown us that, hey, I'm telling you that when one of my son dies, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And He did. People don't come out of the grave naturally all the time. He raised him from the dead. And if we can't believe that, then what will we believe? And yet my life is full of moments of delaying my obedience and then rationalizing my behavior. And perhaps yours is too. So much of our, so many of our excuses come from a failure to believe God's promises, but they also can come from a a fear of inadequacy. God, I really can't do that. What you're calling me to is too hard. And that's what's going on next in our text. So after the Lord has this long chat with, with Moses, we see the word but 
attached to Moses again. Verse 10, But Moses said to, to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. We don't know exactly what the problem was with Moses' speech. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, says it was stammering and stuttering. We don't know. Maybe he was just afraid. Maybe he was just psychologically afraid. I know a lot of us don't like speaking in public. I didn't until I went to seminary. I put off preaching class until the very last minute. I didn't want to speak in front of people. We don't know what it was. But let me tell you something. If Moses was able to open his mouth and argue with the Lord of all creation with the one who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, would not God help him to speak to a measly Pharaoh? So oftentimes we we look at ourselves and say, I'm too weak to do that, Lord. I, I can't do that. I can't be obedient in those ways. I can't say no to that sin. I can't love my family like, I, like I'd like. Don't you know my schedule? The Lord knows our inadequacies. And there's no place for us to find our excuses like we so often do. But you know, sometimes you don't know what you're dealing with until you strip everything else away. Many of you know that we've just sold our house in Montgomery. Praise the Lord. Um, that deserves an amen. Uh, <laughs> and no, it does in our household. Uh, but it was built in the 1930s. Don't buy a house built in the 1930s. I can give you all sorts of reasons why. You don't know what you're dealing with until you strip it away. We had this deck on the back of the house that had to be removed in order for our insurance company to actually insure us. But we bought the house before we did it. Mistake number one. So we go to take off the deck and, and it's attached to the siding, which is not correct. And then they take the siding away. We, you don't know what you're dealing with until you strip it away, right? And, and y'all, in the 1930s, they used good wood. And the good wood, the, the foot-by-foot beam that was keeping my house up was gone. You could reach in and pull chunks out of it with your hand. I know because I did it. You don't know what you're dealing with until the veneer is stripped away. And finally, after Moses has said, but twice, I can't do this, Lord. And the Lord keeps meeting him in those places. said, I got you. I got you. I got this thing. Finally, we see the veneer stripped away in verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. There's nothing left. It just turns out that Moses did not want to obey. He came up with lots of great excuses. But when the Lord dealt with all those excuses, he finally just said, Lord, here I am, don't send me. That's what one commentator puts it as. Here I am, Lord, don't send me, send someone else. And how often is that our case too? Where our excuses just come from plain old disobedience. The Lord says, do this in His Word, and we just say, you know what? I just really don't want to do that. I know that the flesh is strong, and I'm going to give in to it this one time. I know that I shouldn't do X. I know I should love and cherish my wife or my husband or my children or my parents or whatever it is, but, but I'm just not going to do it this time. You don't know what you got until you strip the veneer away. That's exactly what's going on here. The reality is that we make a lot of excuses, but God calls us to obedience. And He gives us His Spirit to help us. But there's really good news in this text. 
There's bad news for excuse makers. We are called to stop making excuses and repent. There's a difference between confession and excuse. When you go before the Lord and make excuses for your behavior, that is not repentance. That is not confession. You're justifying yourself. But there's good news for excuse makers like you and me. Because God uses us even in our excuses. His plan cannot be thwarted. It is because he made all these excuses that we finally get to the point where God says, I'm going to send Aaron. But do you notice where Aaron is? He's already on the way. Verse 14. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. God and his sovereignty, we see the the interplay of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Moses has made all these excuses. I can't speak. I can't do it. The answer is we're going to send Aaron. But guess what? God's already sent Aaron on the way. Aaron's almost already there. And God's going to use Aaron and Moses to achieve his purposes. It's good to know that our excuses don't thwart God's plans. Praise God for that. We might miss out on blessings. We really might. We will if we live in disobedience. But our disobedience, our excuses cannot thwart his plans. But there's even better news for excuse makers like you and me. And that's there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness. See, there was one that was greater than Moses. Another prophet, like Moses, but better. And he is the prophet Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. Our Savior, our Lord, the God-man Jesus. And he came. And where we have made excuses to say, I'm not going to do that, I don't want to do that, he did not. And he fulfilled every time that we have failed. And when it finally came time, the night on which he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, it was prime time. He could have made all sorts of excuses. Don't you know who I am? He's the only one that could say that and not sin. Don't you know I can call a legion of angels? Don't you know that I am who I am? But instead of making excuses, we see in Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't make excuses so that excuse makers like you and me could be forgiven, empowered by the Spirit, and restored to a right relationship with him. God would use an an excuse maker, Moses, to bring his people out of bondage to slavery. And the same God would show up to bring us out of slavery to our sin. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, forgive us when we make excuses. Help us to obey more quickly. We thank you for the salvation and the forgiveness that we have in Christ, and that nothing can thwart your plans. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.